0: Welcome to the High for this podcast. I'm your host, Scott Taylor. So we were off last week, been doing a little bit of traveling on the weekends now that it's summer. But on May 30th, the Thursday, I was at the New York Philharmonic for a special concert, part of their Music of Conscience series. It was a piece I really wanted to see, John Corgliano's Symphony Number no. 1. It came out as a release in the 90s called Of Rage and Remembrance, which was Leonard Slacken and the National Symphony Orchestra. And the cover contained the AIDS quilt on the mall in Washington. I didn't really hear the symphony for the first time until, I think, 1998, or 1999, when I was at music school at Florida State University. And one of the things you do in music school, especially if you're really into orchestral works, is you spend a lot of time listening to these 45-minute, hour-long works with the orchestral score Sometimes in, in in the library because the library back then this is pre downloading music pre Napster even if there was I don't think a lot of classical music would have been on those early services anyways so the library had CD copies of everything or they'd have laser discs or records so it really was the best place to go and get lost and listen to recordings. And the library also had all the orchestral scores. Those weren't the kind of things you own. Those are the kind of things you check out from the library. So just one listen, but I listened to the Chicago Symphony playing John, Cor- John Corgliano's Symphony Number no. 1. He was composer-in-residence at the Chicago Symphony at the time. This is like 1988 when he first um, decided to write the piece. And what happens is that orchestras, when they have a composer-in-residence... Usually they want a major work out of them. They think highly enough of of them that that it's really a patronage situation to where they hire them. And usually it'll produce some chamber music that um, smaller ensembles will play. Maybe a concerto. Like sometimes it might be a piano concerto or a violin concerto or something that the orchestra plays as well. But he decided to write about his experience during um, the AIDS crisis of the late 80s, John Corleone was gay and um, lost a number of friends, like so many men did in the, um, during the AIDS crisis, like over 100 friends he lost. So he really wanted to write a piece that encapsulated all that emotion. It's a modern work, and what's interesting about classical music is that modern can really mean anything past like 1930. Mm. There's a lot of music. If you listen to maybe jazz from back then, that will sound old. But the classical music will sound new. And a piece from like the late '80s, early '90s is actually kind of brand new in the classical music world even today. That that's a very very recent work, even though that's you know 30 years ago now, because it takes a long time for something to really become canon, and something to become the kind of work that's performed often. So this work is not performed often. In 1990, the Chicago Symphony played it. I think the New York Philharmonic played it for the first time in 1992. And this is their second time playing it, so 27 years later they're playing it. So there was two concerts, and I really wanted to make sure I saw this piece. And one of the things that really stood out to me when I first listened to it, the score was really important because There's a third movement where it starts with there's cello solos, like the first um, cello plays, and that's Corleano's friend Julio. It's meant to represent Julio. And the second cello plays, and that's actually meant to represent Julio's teacher. Julio and his teacher both died of AIDS. After that, various instruments, French horn, English horn, like flute, clarinet, come in with these little motifs. And in the score itself, there were like squares above these motifs, and it would have somebody's name, and then year they were born, year they died, and that was crazy to uh, experience that first time. I really was like very emotional about it. And granted, when you see any art about the viciousness of the AIDS epidemic, and how you know, how awful it was that so many people died striking, and uh, the New York Philharmonic was doing two performances. I think it was in the 30th and then June 1st. I almost went to the second one too, but I, I went to that first night, and oh man, it did not disappoint. It was so good. And I don't go to the New York Philharmonic nearly as much as I should, it's such a privilege to have it so close, and I actually used to live like across the street from there. We were, we were in the Upper West Side for about eight years and literally were across the street. I didn't take advantage nearly as much as I should have, so I was glad to go. Corleano was there at the performance and introduced the piece, and actually the only frustrating part was that the New York Philharmonics audience is very old. The, the, the whole second half of the concert was the, the symphony. And before it started, I heard people murmuring like, oh, I don't know if I like it because it was too modern for them. You know, the symphony is four movements. And between each movement, you do kind of get a little bit of time to like rustle around or cough or something like that. And after the first and second movements, people got up and left. And I was so pissed off at like either how close-minded or just how how could they not understand like how could they not like absorb the music and have a similar reaction to me i i don't understand um how they didn't get it the performance was great i was mostly taken aback i wasn't emotional during the performance i thought i might i was actually maybe more emotional leading up to it thinking oh god this is so intense and this is such a um heavy subject i was really taken aback just by how good the orchestra was and how how good it sounded and there were times where like the sound kind of overtook me in the room and it was like really intense pretty thrilling experience uh watching them play that so i was really glad to be there a lot of new releases in the past two weeks that I want to highlight I don't want to make it a habit to highlight singles I consider them promotional materials for instance before the Vampire Weekend came, album came out there was three or four tracks that they released for people to hear I elected not to hear them because I wanted to wait for the full album I still like to experience full albums I hope you do as well Bonnie Vare has two new singles out, listen to them if you would like, they also announced a show at Barclays Center in October, adding that to their tour. They're doing two days at King's Theater as well. We'll see how that Barclays sells. It might sell out. I know the last time they played New York City, I think they played 11 shows, six at Pioneer Works, and then they played every venue around the city. That was 3000-ish or below. It remains to be seen what happens with Barclays. If we recall previous episodes, I've talked about bands thriving or bombing there. I thought for this episode, though, because there's nothing new I really want to highlight right now, a couple publications have started putting out their best of the year so far lists. And I really uh, am hesitant to even say what uh, I think the best albums of the year are, but there are some albums we didn't talk about because I didn't start the podcast until what five weeks ago, six weeks ago. So there are perhaps a few albums I can highlight that we never got a chance to talk about and if you really want to see a broad list of what the critics are thinking, The Guardian has a list out, Vulture which is part of New York Magazine has a list out. I end up all year long agonizing over this list. And then no matter what I put out within a month or two afterwards, I find the album that I really, really fall in love with that I'm like, wow, I didn't even know this was out. And that kind of happened this year with the Caroline Rose record, the cautious clay record. I really like, it's always something. I found that Manchester orchestra, uh, a dark mile to the surface, which actually that may be 2017 that I found. Uh, I guess I did find it last year But the albums I I guess I want to highlight That I haven't talked about on the show yet Maybe the top one for me Is James Blake's Record Assumed Form Cause I can already see this goes deeper I was fortunate enough to see James Blake early in the year. Terminal 5 remains a miserable concert-going experience. It doesn't feel that way when you walk in. But when a sold-out show is occurring and you are in the crowd and you would love to move freely and then you realize if I move, if I get a drink, if I go to the bathroom, there is no chance I'm getting back to where I'm currently standing. What ends up happening is that you come out of the bathroom and then you are in the tightest crowd with very few places to walk. Very few places to stand. When you do find a place to stand, the sight lines are abhorrent. And so what ends up happening is you go to the back bar and you kind of watch from there. There are maybe four or five good sight lines in all of Terminal 5. And for the rest of the, the 2,900 people there, you're kind of screwed. What's also strange, too, is I'm pretty tall. I'm over six feet. Yet I feel like I'm standing on the tips of my toes to see over people in front of me. So what must the short people think? What must what must most girls think? What must... I mean, the average person is probably, what, 5'9", five, 5'10"? Five, maybe that's tall for them. It's It's really kind of an, an abhorrent place to see a concert. The second and third floors, because your next stop might be, oh, I'll go up to a higher floor, and then I can see over the... Uh, Balcony, And you cannot because it's 100% packed with people. So if you aren't leaning over the balcony, you can't see over the people. So I've had a love-hate relationship with Terminal 5 over the years because I've actually seen some really cool shows there. I've seen a ton of shows there. And for a number of years, that was the center of gravity for music in New York because other than Terminal 5 maybe webster hall is the next biggest room. Radio City is bigger. Radio City is 6000. Well, that means the person has to be able to pull in double the numbers of terminal 5. Terminal 5 I think it's a 3000 person cap. That's about the size for most artists that they can that they can do. Hammerstein Ballroom is bigger, but Hammerstein Ballroom isn't like a very active concert venue. I believe at one point they were filming America's Got Talent there. There's a bunch of random things that happened. I've seen some great shows in Hammerstein Ballroom, but it's not a space that's, you know, regularly putting on big acts. Next on my list, I'd probably say Sharon Van Etten, Remind Me Tomorrow. Sharon Van Etten, I learned about my days at E! Music, her album Tramp. Amazing. I've seen her live five or six times now. This new record has a little bit more... I don't want to say it's a different vibe. I guess it is a little bit different Different vibe. There's more synthesizers on it, but not in like an 80s way. More like a Moog, kind of atmospheric type way. There are a couple great tracks on this that I think are standouts. Maggie Rogers had... A breakout performance on Saturday Night Live. She's been. She had a couple singles out last year that are on this record, and she's kind of blown up as far as the. She was at Coachella. Tons of famous people and influences were going nuts about her. Great artist. I like this record. I'm actually curious at the end of the year if this record will still be holding up. A couple of the tracks though, light on and Falling Water, I think, are very strong. So even if I didn't put her album as the best, one of the best albums of the year, those two tracks are definitely two of the better singles, you could say, from an album. We talked about Maren Morris. I saw Maren Morris at Brooklyn Steel. Then the next night she played Terminal 5. I think her album Girl is about as good as it gets when it comes to modern pop country. I really enjoy it as a pop record. I think if you haven't heard it, please give it a listen. Better Oblivion Community Center, which is, of course, the collaboration between Phoebe Bridgers and Connor Oberst. Connor Oberst of Bright Eyes fame. Phoebe Bridgers is about as respected as an artist as there is right now. She is so scary good and so young. And you can completely see her taking over the mantle from people like Connor Oberst. She's I think she's that artist for young people, or I hope she is. And she's that artist for me now. I think she's really just amazing. I have been fortunate enough in the past year and a half. I saw her at Music Hall of Williamsburg. I saw Boy Genius at Brooklyn Steel, which she was a part of, with Julian Baker and Lucy Dacus, and now I have seen Better Oblivion Community Center. I was right up front for that at Music Hall of Williamsburg. tour they did every show sold out instantly they had to move a lot of the shows to bigger venues and then they added on shows um at a bunch of places i think they added on they played bowery they played Music Hall in williamsburg they played brooklyn steel and they initially only booked the bowery ballroom show so that was a cool collaboration broods we've talked about don't feed the pop monster i think is a great great little pop record little dance record and some respects. And of course, I can't stop talking about I am easy to find, but the national. the recent banger of the summer may have been vampire weekend father of the bride which i like and maybe i'll include it in my end of the year list but it doesn't blow me away i just re- i like it and i enjoy hearing it i think it's better than most records i'm curious as the years go on how much i'll cherish this one though but those are the albums i would say that so far this year, those are the ones that matter to me. And we'll see how I feel in six months. Shows coming up this week. There are a lot of them. And the New York Harmonic and Metropolitan Opera are also doing their Concerts in the Park series, which is cool. They're making their way all around the city, playing every borough, various stages. Tonight, though, at Brooklyn Steel is Beach House. Beach House was also here last night Beach House's last album, Seven, is fine I have a hard time remembering any particular song from it Which is not the case for previous records Where there were some tracks that own part of my soul They're so good Also tonight, the Metropolitan Opera recital series At Central Park Summer Stage I think this is mostly going to be individual songs, arias yeah, maybe some crowd Pleasers with Particular performers from the opera They're not actually going to do Like scenes from an opera or anything And I'm curious if they're going to have Orchestra or what the backup's going to be but That should be interesting, that's for free Tonight, tomorrow night At City Winery Is Justin Towns Earl We talked about him last time He has his new album, The Saint of Las Casas This will probably be pretty good Wednesday in Central Park, the New York Philharmonic. I'm assuming this is on the Great Lawn. This will be free, though. Should be pretty good. The headliner piece at these shows is Rachmaninoff Symphony Number no. 2, which is a pretty slamming piece. I don't know if I'll be able to hit this or not on Wednesday. Wednesday night as well, Craig Finn from the Holt City is playing Joe's Pub. This is his solo tour supporting I Want A New War, which we saw back at Murmur in January. Wednesday, the Metropolitan Opera Recital Series, free concert, Brooklyn Bridge Park. But Wednesday, The National and Courtney Barnett. Courtney Barnett is good enough to maybe not just be called an opener, but maybe co-headlining somewhat at Prospect Park. Banshell. That's Thursday night as well. I am going to go to one of these. I doubt both. Maybe Thursday. I'm easy to find. I just... uh, It hit me hard. I'm not even sure why. Other people like it, but they don't like it as much as me. I, I think it's really good. Courtney Barnett. I really enjoyed her record five years ago. The name escapes me right now. It's a long title. But it almost reminded me of like watching Nirvana, like never mind. I saw her in Austin City Limits and I was like, This is this is banging. Thursday, Craig Finn again at Joe's pub. Also Thursday, Industry City, which I guess that's South not South Slow, that's Sunset Park. Over there where Costco is. Industry City is these big old factory buildings that are now kinda like bespoke little markets. There's music happening somewhere over there. But Thursday is Bombino and Habibi. Habibi is really cool. I saw Habibi at Brooklyn Bowl. was a little bit blown away by how cool. I mean, It's a female punk type group. I'm bad at labeling genres of punk. So I really can't put an exact label on what they are. But very cool. That's Thursday in Industry City. Friday, Blonde Redhead also playing Industry City. Friday, the New York Philharmonic playing for free in Prospect Park. That should be a good one. Same program as the other performances. Saturday, Forest Hill Stadium, Death Cab for Cutie and Jenny Lewis. The Jenny Lewis record is not doing it for me and I hate it pains me to say that because I was an enormous Rilo Kiley fan. I'm a huge Jenny Lewis fan. And almost everything she's put out ever, I've just fallen in love with right away. This new record, not in love with it. Part of it's the vibrato on her vocal. It's too slow. You could like drive a car through it. It's a little strange for me. I hate to say that. Panda Bear, also playing Saturday at what is called Open Air, which is 99 Scott Avenue in Bushwick. I am open to seeing this. Not sure if it'll happen. It's entirely possible that Death Cab concert happens or it's entirely possible I'm at the beach this weekend and see nothing. Sunday, New York Philharmonic Brass is playing the St. George Theatre in Staten Island. This is sold out. This is definitely the kind of show I would hit. It's at 4 o'clock. I don't know what the scalper ticket situation is like for New York Philharmonic tickets, so I'm not really sure this is even possible. But this is the kind of thing, Philip Smith, who was the great principal trumpet for a number of years, is back in town to conduct this. He teaches at the University of Georgia throughout the year. However, when there are special brass concerts, a lot of the times he's the conductor. He had to stop performing with the orchestra because of a physical thing with his embouchure or lip. So he does a lot more conducting now Which is fun This is more of like a, a pops type concert Always fun to see These great brass players play though So it's a packed week A lot of those free New York Philharmonic concerts And there's more I didn't even mention I don't know if you want to go to The Bronx To see the New York Philharmonic Or way out in Queens Some of the street numbers they were playing off of Were like a hundred and something street way out in queens i couldn't even tell you how to get there unless you drive anyways lots of cool stuff happening this week the nationals playing two shows craig finn's playing two shows beach house tonight death cab this weekend There's two shows at industry city a lot to sink your teeth into